Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. I keep saying in this series that before every blessing comes a testing. That God will test you with stress before he blesses you with success. And the question is, are you blessable? Do you have the character? Do you have the integrity to do what God is calling you to do. And each time you pass the test, you are blessed. You get promoted. We have seen that over and over again in the life of Daniel. And today we're going to see it in his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I may refer to them from time to time as SMA. It's just easier. <laughs> just easier. Uh, 37 years ago, a movie came out. <clears throat> Beverly Hills Cop. Do you remember this movie? Yep. Yeah. I can still see Eddie Murphy sneaking up behind the car with a banana. He was going to stick a banana. I'm not falling for the banana in the tailpipe. You remember that? Well, the producers of that movie, when they were putting that movie together, they were looking for a theme song. They wanted something iconic. They wanted to set the movie apart. You know, often um, the the songs that go with these movies are the thing that that, that are just as popular as the movie. Um, Berlin sang a song for the Top Gun soundtrack that it's, you know, it's as popular as the movie was. And so uh, these producers were looking for a song. They, they were looking for somebody to do it. So they went to Glenn Fry, Glenn Fry of the Eagles. He was the front man for the Eagles for years. Glenn is not with us anymore. And, and uh, they were on hiatus. They, you know, the Eagles claim they never really broke up. They just took a 14-year vacation. But uh, they weren't touring or, or making music together at the time. And so uh, they got to Glenn Fry and said, "Hey, would you write this? Would you score this? You know, write this song for us, and uh, we need something that'll really set the movie off." So he wrote the song. The heat is on. Many of you, even as I'm say that, you can hear the guitar and the saxophone playing, and it's just one of those songs. If you grew up in the in the '80s, you know that song. Well, the producers paid Glenn Fry a flat fee of fifteen thousand dollars for that song. Can you imagine? I mean, that, that movie's gone on to make I don't know how many millions of dollars, but Glenn Fry got 15000 for for his part in it. That expression, the heat is on, comes from uh, the 1930s and the gangster era when the gangsters used to say, hey, the heat is on, which meant that the cops were coming. You know, they're bearing down on us. We got to wake up. It's, it's, hey, serious, the heat is on. And it's, it's later kind of morphed into a thing where if you're being grilled by the police or or, if, you know, if you've been arrested or interrogated or something like that, the heat is on. And then for us, it's just kind of taken another turn. And when we say the heat is on, what we mean is that we're under pressure, that, that uh, there's a deadline. There's something that is pressing up against us. The heat is on. We're, we're feeling the heat of some deadline, some decision that has to be made, something. There are all kinds of heat. But today in this story, in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to look at the literal heat that was on. Today we look at that famous story out of Daniel, and if you were a kid growing up in, in uh, Sunday school like me, how many of you had flannel graph? If I say flannel graph, you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you are like, what in the world is flannel graph? Sounds like, uh, you know, like, like spirograph or something. Well, flannel graph was all these Bible characters that had been cut out of flannel and they had a flannel board, and they would act these stories out for us. And they would tell these stories, and they would move them. This was way, way before computers. And, uh, and one of the great stories that you remember from if you were a little kid growing up in church is they acted out the story of Daniel and his, and his three buddies, and his three buddies get thrown into the fiery furnace. So that's the story that we're going to look at today, this famous story. This is 15 years later than we were last year, last week, last week. Um, it feels like a year sometimes. And, and these guys are now 15 years older. They're in their mid-30s. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the Babylonian Empire. He's basically the most powerful man in the known world. Has the largest empire in the world at that time. He's very powerful. And what often comes with that title of powerful man or powerful woman, what can oftentimes come with that is ego. And ego is a constant problem for Nebuchadnezzar And this causes the next test, and it's a test that you will likely have in your life, either because of your own ego or because of someone else's ego that that causes a furnace for you. So we're going to look at the story of Daniel chapter 3 in some detail. We've got a lot to cover, so let's jump in. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 
90 feet tall, 90 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. This is what we call an ego trip. You build a 90-foot statue to yourself and you put it where everybody can see it. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Now, this is basically the pecking order of the day. This, these are the people that are in charge, and this is kind of the order in which they, you know, their, their importance. And so uh, SMA would have been governors. They would have kind of fallen under the, they're kind of in the middle somewhere. They've, they've achieved some level of importance among the, the Babylonian empire. They're, you know, in the province, they're kind of important. They're special. Verse 3, so the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then they heralded, they herald, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, you, just imagine you're one of these three guys. You're in your mid-30s. There are hundreds of people stretched out to either side of you. You're in a big group of people. They have rolled this statue out. You know what it's there for. This guy stands up and starts talking. You know where this is going. You know you're going to be asked to bow down to this thing. And you've already made up your mind. You're not doing that. And you know when, you st when, when the command comes to, to bow, you're going to be left standing and all the eyes are going to be on you. Can you imagine the tension in that moment? Can you imagine everything that's going through your heart and your mind in that moment? Here it comes, here it comes. They're going to all bow and I'm not going to bow and this is where it really is going to get sticky. And king Nebuchadnezzar is saying, it's not enough to be king, I want to be God, I want to be worshipped. And then he adds this caveat, who does, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now that's motivation. Verse 7, therefore as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music. I love the message just calls that the big band. I like that better. All the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, before we go any further in this, I just want to point out that this story is 2,600 years old, but its relevance is as strong today as it was when this unfolded 2,600 years ago. This is every bit a problem that we have in our culture today. This is just as true today as it was then. The first thing that I would tell you is we are still tempted. The world still creates larger-than-life images for us to worship. I've given you an outline if you want to follow along going to be several points today and you can just kind of take notes at your leisure but that's the first point the world creates for us larger than life images for me to, to to worship now we're you know we're not putting up 90 foot statues on the side of the interstate although some of our billboards are kind of big but we've got movie screens we've got ball fields and ball diamonds you know we we, we go to concerts and there's rock stars and if you've ever been to a concert you would almost i mean i think you could say in some instances there is worship happening to someone who is not God. Uh, it certainly feels that way. Same thing with ball games. Same thing with, with movie stars. Uh, they, they just oftentimes get treated differently and, and not rightfully so. And to be sure, we still worship gold today. Uh, gold is something that is easy for people to, to bow down to. But today, the idols that we have are not necessarily statues. Here, the idols are, are, you know, and the images that the world wants us to worship today are, are things that, we, you know, we, we all have kind of the same, they're, they're common among us. Uh, one of them is physical beauty. You know, we, we, physical beauty is something that's held up for us to worship. In this culture, if you are not good looking, you don't matter. And we have certainly gotten that message because in the world last year, there were $532 billion spent on, on beauty products. $532 billion. You're like, okay, Brett, how much did the United States spend on beauty products last year? The number is $69 billion that we spent to look good. Hey, you don't look like this for free. You know, it costs money. We've gotten the message. We have gotten the message that, that if you're not pretty, 
you don't matter. And so little girls, they grow up and they, they see, you know, the, the images and the models in the magazines and, and it's communicated to them, hey, this is what you're supposed to look like. And that can drive all kinds of body image issues and can create all kinds of problems. Uh, we worship sex in this culture. It, it seems to be everywhere in Western culture. We worship wealth and success and fame and power and influence and popularity. We all want to be popular. We all want to be liked. We want to have a lot of friends. That's important to us. And all these things are vaulted in our society. Second thing we have in common is me. I am tempted to create a false image of myself to impress other people. I do this. You do this. You are tempted probably every day of your life in one form or another to build your image, to create a false impression for somebody else of who you are so that everyone around you, because we want to be loved and we want to be respected and we want to be popular. We would, I, I, you know, I'm going to say this, you're going to say, Brett, not me. I think somewhere in the deep recesses of our mind and our heart, there's a place in all of us probably where we don't say this out loud because we know we're not supposed to, but there's a part of us that's like, man, it would be cool to be worshiped. Wonder what that's like. Anytime I spend time building my own image, that is a potential trap. Because image building quickly becomes idol building. And the whole idea in our culture is it's all about me. Um, in 2002, Rick Warren wrote a book. It was one of the most popular books that's ever been written. Uh, he, he made so much money on this book. Rick Warren is a pastor. A lot of people don't know this. But he made so much money on this book that he reversed tithes. He gives away 90% of his income and he lives on 10%. It's just amazing to me. I mean, he made a killing on this book, but still, that's, would you do that? I don't know that I would do that, but he did. You know how the book starts? Counterculture. You know, the very first line in this book, it's not about you. That's not what the world wants to hear. That's not how the world thinks. Everything is telling us it's about, no, it is about you. It's all about you. Burger King in 1974 came out with a campaign to help them sell more hamburgers. The slogan was, have it your way. You're the king. You get what you want. We're going to cater to every need that you have. We want you to be important. And then in the early 90s, 1990, Andre Agassi comes out with a, a, an ad campaign for Canon cameras. Do you remember the slogan? You remember? Image is everything. Image is everything. This is, uh, this is a great picture of Andre. Andre Agassi started playing tennis in a time when everybody wore tennis whites. Shirt was white, shorts were white, socks were white, shoes were white, everything white. You wore a headband, white. And then Andre showed up, and he's wearing denim shorts, and he's got red pants on underneath those, and all this hair, and these bright colored shirts, and sunglasses. He's wearing sunglasses as he plays tennis. Image is everything. And from that point on, image has become, I mean, it was probably a big deal before that, but definitely after this, image became something that we, we strongly cultivate. Character. What you really are has been placed by, replaced by image. What you want everyone to think you are. The number one place we do that today is in social media. Let me show you this picture of my perfect life. You know what I'm talking about. You're in a group, you take a picture, and they show you the picture before they post it, and you're like, oh, no, don't post that one. Right? Because ladies, I mean, let's be honest, you, you, I've lost track of how many times I've taken a picture and been told, delete that. <laughs> you're not posting that. No. Ladies, if your hair's not perfect, if the makeup isn't perfect, that picture's not going to hit social media. There's no way. I'm, we're not having that, right? And guys, we, I'm not letting us off the hook either because we do the same thing. We just do it differently. Like we want to make sure our chest looks good. We suck our bellies in. We want those arms to look big, right? We might even flex a little bit for you, right? We create an image of ourselves and it's a big deal today to do that. Uh, I'm not putting down looking good. I'm not putting down being at your best. I think those things can glorify God. I think when you dress nice and you look nice and you, 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 know, you take care of yourself, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not putting that down. That's a, I think God can get glory from that. You ought to do that. 
But what I'm talking about is image building. I'm talking about being something that you're not or trying to get someone else convinced that you are something you are not. Some people idolize themselves. You know anybody like that? Don't look at them right now. <laughs> Don't look at them if you're sitting next to them. You know how you can tell when someone idolizes themselves? They expect everything to bend to them. It's all about them. Their schedule, they want you to bend your schedule to their schedule. They want to talk, you know, enough about, uh, you know, to talk about, I've been talking about myself for an hour, enough about me, what about you? What do you think about me? Right? It's just somebody that they just, they cannot get their mind off themselves. They think about themselves all the time. The narcissism that they have. And you're like, you just roll your eyes like, gee whiz. We don't have golden idols, we just make digital idols and we post them on Facebook. If I reject the world's images, number three, people will try to burn me. People will try to burn me. When the music started in Babylon, everybody falls on their face to worship this 90-foot idol. SMA said, no, we're not doing that. Now, this wasn't just three guys. These are three governors. They have achieved some level of success in the government. You know, they got some people above them. They've also got some people below them that are kind of watching what they do. And they're standing and everybody else is bowing around them and they, they stick out like a sore thumb and they made some people upset. We read this in Daniel chapter three, verse eight. This comes from the message. Just then some Babylonian fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You gave strict orders, O king, that when the big band started playing, everyone had to fall to their knees and worship the gold statue. And whoever did not go to their knees and worship, it had to be pitched, they had to be pitched into a roaring furnace. Well, there are some Jews here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have placed in high positions in the province of Babylon. These men are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your gods, and they don't worship the gold statue you set up. How's that for loyalty among your co-workers? Listen, you go to work, there's no, there could be a lot of things that motivate this. Could be racism, could be bigotry, could be that, you know, somebody lower wanted their job. Could be any number of things. Listen, when you go to work, there are going to be some people at your work who want to burn you. Not everybody you're working with is your friend. Not everybody you're working with really likes you and wants to see you succeed. A question that comes up as you read this is, where is Daniel? Daniel's nowhere to be found. Daniel is an advisor to the king at this point and is more than likely out of the country or gone away doing the king's business. He, he probably isn't even aware that this story is unfolding. But if I reject the idols, people may try to burn me. Here's the fourth thing that's true today. People who do the right thing always make some people angry. You ever notice that? show you a picture here. You know who that is? Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow. I want to talk about Tim Tebow for a minute. Tim Tebow was a football player at the University of Florida and um, quite a good football player in college, quite a good quarterback in college. His game does not really translate to the NFL, even though he tried to translate it to the NFL. And there were some teams that had some interest, and he's played for a couple of different teams and not really enjoyed a whole lot of success. Um, I have always kind of rooted for him because I just, I like him. I just like him. But not everybody likes him. And recently it was said that there's another team that has reached out and invited him to camp and, and they've given him a chance to play for their football team. And if you turn on social media around sports topics, especially when this first came out, or if you, if you go on ESPN and listen to him talk about the NFL and specifically the, the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, his name comes up a lot because he's, he's going to try to make that team as a tight end, not as a quarterback. And some guys just think, you know, he shouldn't even have the opportunity. They don't like him. They don't like it that the Jaguars have invited him like that. Here's what I don't understand. I, look, if you, if you can bang on his talent and say he's not good enough, that's fine. But that's for the Jaguars to figure out. But, but for someone to not like him, he's never been in jail you never hear a foul word come out of his mouth. He's always encouraging to people around him. This guy runs a, a, an event. I forget the name of it. It's Night of Shining Stars or something like that. Night to Shine. Night to Shine. It's, a, it's global, am I right? Global, where they put on a, a prom 
for mentally and, and physically challenged young people. And he's, he's all about that. And they, these kids get dressed up in formals and have this wonderful night. And he's, he's right there in the middle of all of it. I mean, I've never heard him do anything that I would not want my son or daughter to do. And every Christian husband, uh, father would love for their daughter to marry this guy. You know, I mean, look at him for crying out loud. Nobody's going to hurt her for sure. And yet there are people who do not like him. And if you bring up his name, they get angry. You know, you hear people say, well, if I were just perfect, everybody would love me. No, they wouldn't. Jesus was perfect. They crucified him. I I don't know what it is with Christians where we get surprised when bad things happen to us. We follow a man who was crucified. Jackson Brown's one of my favorite artists, and I love his music. He's got a song called Rebel Jesus. If you've never heard it, you should listen to it talks about the rebel Jesus, and at the end of the song, he says, and if you do what the rebel Jesus did, you're going to get the same thing that happened to him. What he's saying is when you live your life really look like Jesus, people don't like it, and they'll come after you. I'm just telling you, you, you know, it's amazing. Bring up Islam, bring up any other faith. Nobody seems to be all that, that threatened. Nobody seems to be that worked up about it. Bring up Jesus, polarizing. Tim Tebow does everything he can to live his life to look like Jesus. Does he do it perfectly? No, I'm sure he doesn't. I'm not not suggesting he's Jesus in any way. He's a man. He's got problems. He fails like everybody else. But it's just amazing that he, he tries to live his life for Christ, and he is hated for it. It should not surprise us. In this story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dared to challenge the king's narcissism they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, look, you're the king, yes. You're the most powerful person in the world, yes. But you are not God, and we are not going to bow down to you. We're not doing that. That's a line in the sand that we refuse to cross. I'm just telling you right now, if you decide to live your life for Christ in your workplace, at your school, you are going to make some people angry. Not everybody's going to cotton to that. They're not going to like it. The king is not used to having people say no to him. There are three kinds of people in the world, and you find all three of them in this story. There are people who are stuck up, there are people who are kiss-ups, and there are people who are stand-up. The king is stuck up. He thinks he is really something. He thinks the whole world revolves around him. All these prefects and governors and satraps and all these different government officials bureaucrats they're kiss-ups oh king you're so awesome there's no there's no one other than you you're the greatest shadrach meshach and abednego stand up guys when everybody else is on their face bowing to this statue bowing to this king sma say no we're not doing that that's not who we are we stand up here's the question that hangs in the room this morning what kind of person are you What kind of person are you in the marketplace, at school, on social media, in business? As you you go through life, are you stuck up? Are you a kiss up? Or are you the kind of person who is a person of rock solid integrity? I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do it humbly. I'm going to be polite about it. I'm not going to do it with a lot of fanfare, but I'm going to try to do what's right. Now, really, you ask yourself the question, why, did, why didn't these guys bow down? Everybody else is doing it. I mean, that's, real, you know, in our culture, if everybody else is doing it, I should be able to do it too, right? I mean, I fall into that kind of stuff. If they're doing 85 on the interstate, if the hot donuts now, sound, now sign is on and everybody else is pulling in, I mean, it's God's will. you got to do that, right? But we, we get into that mode, don't we? Hey, everybody else is doing it. The reason was so simple for them. It was the breaking of the first, ten command, the first of the Ten Commandments. And they knew that. Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. Anything that comes before God in your life, spouse, kids, dog, job, money, ambition, goals, hobbies, money, Anything that you put before God is an idol. Verse 4 of of, of Exodus 20, You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything 
in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of, their, of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Children often pay for the sins of their parents. She's like, Brett, what are you talking about? I mean, just look at our, look at our debt problem. And, and as a country and sometimes individually, our debt becomes the debt of our kids. And, and you know, they're left holding the bag. You, you can hear horror stories about uh, a young baby that's born to a mother that's addicted to something, and that baby never really fully gets away from that. It's a problem for the rest of their life. You hear about people that grow up in an environment where there's drugs and alcohol and, they, they, and crime all around them and not doing the right thing, and they never, they grow up, they, they, it's all they've ever known. That's all they've ever been taught is, you know, you do this, and, and they don't, they've never been shown any other way. And they, can, they never seem to be able to break out of it. And, and in large part, they pay for the sins of their, their parents. And as a country, you know, we, we just, we, these kind of issues come up for us all the time. One of the reasons that they wouldn't bow was because it was a part of the Ten Commandments. But the second reason is the reason they're in Babylon in the first place. God's been warning the Israel for years, do not bow down to these idols. It's going to cost you. You're going to pay for this if you keep doing this. The whole reason they're in Babylon is because their parents had broken this very command. And Nebuchadnezzar hears about these three governors that refuse to bow down. He has a fit. Verse 13 of Daniel 3, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. In other words, I'm going to give you one more chance. When you hear the music start, you'd better bow down. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? <laughs> the arrogance, the, the, the ego, the narcissism. We're going to have this little God contest between me and you're God, and we're going to see who has the power to save you. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did four things right when the heat was on. Number one, they don't worry about defending yourself. Don't worry about defending yourself. When you face the heat because of a moral stance or because you're a Christian or because you're doing the right thing, don't worry about defending yourself. Don't worry about defending God. When you're in the fire, God is a much better firefighter than you are. Daniel 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. It's implied here uh, something that we all need to understand. God doesn't need us to defend him either. God is perfectly capable of defending himself. King Nebuchadnezzar says, who is going to save you, me or your God? And the boys say, look, we're not going to answer that question. <laughs> we don't need to defend God. We don't need to defend ourselves. We are not worried. We are not impressed by your threats. So don't worry about defending yourself. Number two, remember that God has the power to save you. No matter what mess you're in, no matter what difficulty you find yourself in the middle of, no matter what your fire is, remember that God has the power to save me. I have always loved verse 17 and 18 too for that matter, but 17 says this, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. We know God can save us, but that's not enough. The third thing is, believe God will save me. Believe God will save me. When you're in the crisis, when the problem is raging, when you're faced with your whole life falling apart, you do not have to believe that God, not, you, you don't not only have to believe that God has the ability to save you, but you need to get to a place where you're saying, I expect him. I expect it. My faith dictates that my God will show up and help me with this. I want you to pay attention to the second part of verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. In the whole entire nation, three guys stood up to the king. They are not conforming. And the king says, you're going to worship me. And SMA say, no, not us. We're not worshiping you. We're not going to bow down to you. God can save us, and God has the power. And he will save us. 
If you're going through the fire right now, you should be living your life in the Bible. You should be in the Bible anyway. But when you go through hardship, you should really be in the Bible because it is there that you find all these wonderful promises that God has made to you about going through the fire. It's kind of like an insurance policy. If you, you know, if you have a house and a tree falls on your house, and you've got an insurance policy on your house, but you don't know what's in the insurance policy, you're going to worry. You're going to, you know, it's going to bother you. You're going to like, oh my goodness. But if you know that your insurance policy covers a tree falling on your house, I mean, it's not great. You don't want a tree falling on your house, but at least you know it's going to be taken care of. It's the same thing with God. People who worry, people who are full of anxiety, people who you know, get worked up over every little thing are people who have not come to the realization, God is in charge of my life. He is watching over me. I know that he's made promises to me. I know that he is not going to leave me high and dry. I'm not going to worry about this. God's made promises to me. And when you worry, what you're saying to God is, I haven't read the book. I don't know what's in the policy. There are over 6,000 promises of God to his believers. This is just one of them out of Isaiah. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. When you go through the fire, the flames will not consume you. Now, based on those three things, I'm not worried. I know what God can do. I'm expecting him to do it. Number four, I announce my loyalty to God no matter what. I announce my loyalty to God no matter what. When you have to go before your boss or you're going to answer for yourself somewhere, you just basically say, God, I'm announcing my loyalty to you. No matter what the outcome of this conversation, no matter what the confrontation is, SMA go and they say, God has the ability to save us. We believe he will save us. And then I love verse 18. This is one of my favorites in the whole Bible. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now that's a stand. See, that's not what happens in our world today. You know what I hear an awful lot of? If God doesn't do what I want God to do, I'm not going to follow God anymore. God better do what I want God to do. I don't agree with what God did in my life. I don't know why that happened. I can't explain it. And because I'm, I can't, I'm mad, and so forget God. What that sounds like to me is someone who thinks they're God and they expect God to follow them. That's not how this works. God knows things we don't know. And for goodness sakes... I, you know, we've all gone through things where we've got some questions for God. Like, God, I don't understand this. And it just seems like a lot of times God doesn't take the time to explain it. And when he doesn't take the time to explain it, that's when we humble ourselves and say, you know what? <laughs> doesn't matter. I'm still going to follow. I still believe. I, I believe that God has my best interest at mine. These guys are announcing their loyalty to God no matter what. We, we, we believe that he can save us. We believe that he will save us. But even if he doesn't save us, we're not backing down. When you have a problem in your life, God always works it out in one of three ways. There are three different ways God can deliver you, just real quick. Number one, sometimes God saves you from the crisis. God could have saved them from this furnace. He doesn't. He could have. God could have done that here. But sometimes you're in the problem and you're thinking to yourself, well, God, you could have kept me from this. Yes, God could keep you from it. Number two, sometimes God saves us through the crisis. We walk through the fiery furnace. When I do funerals, one of the funeral sermons that I do is, is one from the 23rd Psalm. And I'm, I, I say this, feel like I say this all the time. You know, God doesn't just say, hey, you're going to go through the valley and I'll meet you on the other side. God says, no, I will walk with you through that valley. I'm going to be with you. And sometimes it doesn't feel like God is with us, but we have to have faith that God is with us. Sometimes God saves us through the crisis. He gives us the strength to handle it. And sometimes God saves us by the crisis. Sometimes the problem is not the problem, it's keeping us from a bigger problem. Somebody goes to the doctor, they've got a bad arm or a bad leg or their side's hurting, and they go to have that checked out only to find out, oh my goodness, this is a lot worse than we thought. And the problem that you thought you had is really not even the problem, it's way deeper, it's bigger than that. 
The problem that you had just got you there so you could find something deeper. Sometimes God allows the problem because he wants to save you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, For a short time, different kinds of trouble may make you sad. These troubles come to prove that your faith is pure. This purity of faith is worth more than gold, which can be proved to be pure by fire but will ruin. But the purity of your faith will bring you praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is shown to you. When Jesus returns, you are going to be rewarded for the fact that your faith proved to be trustworthy. Why is that? Because God does not allow me to go through pain on this planet for no reason. God is more, I say this all the time, and and every time I say it, I I don't even like the way it sounds. I hear it, I hear myself say it, and I'm like, ugh, that sounds awful. But it's true. God is more interested in my character than he is in my comfort. Well, God, I want you interested in my comfort. I was like, "I, I know that. I know that. But Brett, nothing that you really have that you really God that's of value came easily. It comes through trial. It comes through work. It comes, you, you, it doesn't come in comfort. Nothing comes in comfort. It, character comes out of the fire. It always comes out of the fire. This isn't heaven. There's sorrow, tears, pain, sickness, loss here. We're going to get to heaven one day. We'll never know that stuff ever again, but we're not there yet. This is kind of like school. You know, you send your kids off to school to learn how to read and write and, and, and learn about science and biology and social studies and all those things. This is school. Sometimes God saves us by the crisis. We, you know, I, I've said this many times. The, the lessons I've learned that really stick the most with me are the lessons I've learned in deep furnaces, in hardship, with frowns on my face, in embarrassment, in humiliation, in failure. That's where I've learned the greatest lessons. Do I want to go through that stuff? No. I look back and I'm like, man, Brett, what an idiot. You know what? Learn some lessons. We all know people. We may have been that person who was headed away from God And then they go through a bankruptcy or a divorce or an addiction or a loss of some kind and it gets their attention and they come to Christ. The difficulty actually saved them. Was the crisis worth it? Yes. Nebuchadnezzar claims to be God. He thinks he's the best. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, you're not. And then the king gets angry. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. That is overkill, is it not? (laughs) Back in the day when we were listening to music on eight-track tapes, you remember those days? We used to say, crank it up to 10 and rip off the knob. Did you ever say that? Stereos don't have knobs anymore. They they push-button things. I was... I lost my place in the first service telling this story, but it's worth telling, I gotta tell you. I had lunch with my son Tanner this week. He's 26 years old. I think he's 26. I think. I don't have time to do the math. Anyway, we were talking about music, and I was trying to explain to him how an eight-track worked. Think about, how many of you are in the room never had an eight-track player? Yeah, yeah. If you've never been around one, especially kids, try to grandparents try to go go home today this is your assignment go home and explain to them how you listen to an eight track tape and see if you can get them to understand he looked at me like i had three eyeballs like what are you talking you mp3 i'm like no eight track tape four programmed buttons if you wanted you couldn't just listen to one song you had to listen to three songs to get to the half a song that you wanted to listen to that got interrupted by the program thing you ever have that happen always tick me off when that happens Anyway, I digress. When someone overreacts to your faith, you need to realize that they are more, you know, the the more extreme their attack. This is what Nebuchadnezzar does. He gets all bent out of shape. He's all angry. He's all mad. When someone is attacking you, the more they attack you, the more insecure they are. It's not saying nearly as much about you as it's saying about them and what's going on inside their heart. People who are secure in what they believe are not insecure about you and what you believe. 
They're okay with what, who you are and what you believe. The people who are insecure in themselves are going to be insecure about the things you believe and who you are. So when it, when it gets loud and it gets hot and they're making noise and it's you know pointing fingers and they're drawing a, making a scene or whatever, you just need to know it's really not even about you, it's about them. And the more upset they get, the more the problem exists inside them. It's not about you, it's what's about going on inside them. Verse 20, the king commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up, that's important, he ties them up, to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing these robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That is a hot furnace. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now what happens next? There's six things that happen. You're like, oh, gee whiz, six things. Come on, Brett. Trust me, it goes fast. I, I promise you this goes, we actually get out maybe a couple minutes early today, right? You're like, no way, there's no way. Watch me. Six what happens when I trust in God? Six benefits. Here they are, real quick. When I'm going through the fire, if I trust him, God will walk through the fire with me. You will not be alone. Several times this morning, it's not been a great morning. I'll just be honest with you. It's not been a great morning. Um, been several times this morning where God has just quietly whispered to me, hey, I'm here. I'm here. You're going to walk through this day. I'm going to be right beside you. Don't be scared. Don't worry. I'm, I'm here. Okay. God's presence is with you. Over and over again, we are told in Scripture, we have these promises, God is going to be with us. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And the guys say, Yep, we, did. we threw three of them in. Verse 25, He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unbound, and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. It's an angel. It's, it's not human. It's divine. It wasn't the son of the gods. It was the son of God. Jesus was with them in the fire. He's promised to walk with you through the fire as well. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. One of the last things Jesus said to us before he went to be with God, he says to his disciples, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. We read from Isaiah 43 earlier. I want to hit that again. When, look at the, what, the words there. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When, not if, you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Difficulty is a certainty in life. He'll walk through the fire with me. Number two, God will burn off everything tying me down. In this fire, their hair doesn't get singed, their clothes aren't burned, they don't even smell like smoke. But the only thing that burns off are the, are the, the ropes that were man-made that tied them up. Here's a question for you this morning. What has you tied up? What is holding you back? What is limiting you? What does God need to burn off of you to set you free? God will take you through the fire. You will come out on the other side unsinged. But the stuff that will be burned off will be the stuff that's tying you down and holding you back. Listen, when a, when a surgeon is working in your body and he needs to, he needs to seal up an a artery or a vein or a wound, he will cauterize it. He applies great heat, and that heat seals it up. It would, you know, it's, it's, it's intense heat, but it's designed to heal. That is what Scripture refers to as a refining fire. Isaiah 48, see, I have refined you, Though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. God is refining you with fire. You talk to somebody who refines silver, and you ask them, how do you know when silver is purified? You know what the answer to that is? When I can see myself in it. When I can see myself in the silver, I know that the impurities have been burned out of the silver. God knows when you start to look like Jesus, you are beginning to be purified. Everything you go through in life is designed to get you to look more and more like Jesus. When you go through the fire, when you're in the furnace, when it is hot, when you don't understand, your single prayer should be, God, how do I look more like Jesus as I go through this? Number three, if I trust God when the heat is on, God will give me a new freedom. 
You will come out of the fiery furnace with a new liberty. God wants to set you free from the approval of other people. We are addicts to the approval of other people. I have struggled with that my whole life. I want every, you know, I had a good friend of mine one time say, Brett's like my dog. He wants everybody to love him, doesn't understand when they don't. That's pretty much, I think that's not just me. I think that's true of a lot of us. Psalm 66, you let captors set foot on our necks. We went through fire and water. Then you led us out to freedom. God wants you to be free. Freedom usually comes at a high cost and a lot of heat. Last week, we recognized Memorial Day. We understand that. Freedom came at a high cost and a lot of heat. I am living for an audience of one. I've not ever been really good at this in my life. I've always, you know, what other people thought and said to me always bothered me. It always has. But the older I get, the more I'm, if, if, I'm, if God's happy with me, and I know when God's happy with me and when he's not, if God's happy with me, I'm happy with that. And, and I'm starting to learn to be set free from what everybody else thinks. If God is happy with me, then I'm happy. If God's not happy with me, and I know when those times are, then I've got some work to do, and I'm not happy with me. We need to be weaned of the addiction of the approval of other people. Fourth thing that will happen if I trust God when the heat is on. God will make sure I come out unharmed. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. I love it that he calls out to the Most High God. That's not the story he was singing a few minutes ago. Notice he does not invite the fourth man out. He doesn't want any part of that guy. He doesn't know who that is. Doesn't invite him out. Verse 27, the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. I, I cook hamburgers, and I smell like smoke. Number five, if I trust God when the heat is on, it will bring unbelievers to God. How much you handle pain and the way you handle pain and the furnaces in your life will be the greatest testimony and the greatest witness to non-believers that you will ever have. If you've ever prayed, Lord, make me a witness to somebody else, he is likely going to lead you through a furnace to do that. That's where your testimony is on greatest display when you go through hard things. He wants you to show the world how you bear up with him. These guys really impressed the king. Verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servant. He's singing a completely different tune now. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. The jack pine tree is a tree that lives in the northeast of our country. It produces a jack pine cone. And in that pine cone, there's a seed, and the seed is covered with a resin. And the resin is so tight around that seed that the seed, under normal circumstances, cannot get out and cannot germinate. The only way that seed can be released is if it goes through fire, great intense heat. And when it goes through intense heat, it releases the seed, and the seed gets into the ground, and it sprouts into a tree. I'm told that there are several different trees and, and bushes and, and plants like that in different parts of the country, I'm, I'm told that the, the redwood is like that in the in this great northwest. Some of the greatest things in life are only going to come after the fire. And maybe you're going through a fire right now. I'm just telling you, some good things are going to come out of that fire. And you're like, Brett, nothing good's coming out of this. Not, just hold on. Just wait and see. Verse 29, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. I mean, poor Nebuchadnezzar, he just cannot get over. He wants to throw people in fires, cut them to pieces, and burn their house down. Like he just, he loves that. But what he says about God is still true 2,600 years later. For no other God can save in this way. Only the real God can save you. When you are looking for someone else to be your deliverer, you're going to be mistaken. Who are you looking to? Who are you looking to to be your Savior? When you're in deep water, when you're in the furnace, are you trying to do it yourself? Are you the Savior? Is the government your Savior? Is culture your savior? Is your spouse? 
your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your kids, your boss, your job. There is no other God who will save you. You need a Savior. If that wasn't true, God would not have wasted his time and precious resource in Jesus to come die on a cross for us. It is why we have Christmas. For unto us a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. Verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There it is. They get promoted in the province of Babylon. He tests you with stress before he trusts you with success. Number six, if I have faith in the furnace when the heat is on, God will reward my faith in heaven. You are designing and building your life. What kind of materials, raw materials, are you using to build your life? We sang that song at the beginning of the service, building, you know, build my life. When a, when a guy's working with wood and he goes to pick out the wood off the stack, he looks for the straightest boards he can find. No warps, no knots, he's looking for good wood, right? Because the better the, the material's going into the project, the better the project is gonna be. Your choice, what are you putting into your, your project? I wanna read this passage to you and then I'm gonna pray, all right, we'll be done. Band will come out and sing. First Corinthians chapter three, remember, there is only one foundation, the one already laid, Jesus Christ. Take particular care in picking out your building materials. Eventually, there is going to be an inspection. If you use cheap or inferior materials, you will be found out. The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You won't get away with a thing. If your work passes inspection, fine. If it doesn't, your part of the building will be torn out and started over. But you won't be torn out. You'll survive, but just barely. See, you're always going to belong to God. But some of the stuff that you do and some of the way you build your life, God's going to say, no, we've got to do that over again. So that's what you do when you go through the fire. This whole series is really about the hardship, when hard things happen and come. And I talk so much about this in here because we go through hard stuff all the time, and we've got to constantly be reminded of what God is doing in us. I hope this morning has been helpful to you. Let's bow and pray, and the band will come out and sing. Father, some of the people that have walked in this room this morning are smack dab in the middle of hot, hot fire. The furnace is hot. They've got questions. They don't understand. They want relief. They, they're wondering where you are. They're wondering what you're up to and what you're trying to accomplish in them and, and in the whole thing. I pray, Father, that you would just, you would whisper to them and tell them what they need to know to get them through. Father, I trust you. I trust you to do what you're doing, to build the character in us that is necessary so that your will can be accomplished. Because, Father, this is all ultimately about your gigantic will. What do you want? You are the maker of heaven and earth. You created us. You created the universe. You have the right to have things the way you want them. And you have a right to have us the way you want us. So, we bend to your will, Father. We worship you. We honor you. We love you. We glorify you. Even in the furnace. God, we believe you can. We believe you will. But even if you do not, we are yours. We worship and honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.